Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hey, everyone. We have a very special guest today. I am so excited to be talking with Julie Falatko. You may know her from many wonderful picture books, and she is just as delightful in person. Julie, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. So like in full like confessions, Julie lives across town for me. And this is so fun. You know, like, I love how that's a confession. Me. Like everybody's going to go, oh, I didn't I just know. Want, you know what? I just want people to know yeah. that I live near you, Julie. <laughs> I wanted, yeah. I had this vague fantasy of like, could we do it where I go to Julie's house and we like sit on her oh. deck, but it would not, it would be like windy and we'd be wearing masks. It would be terrible. It would right. just be would the be muffled terrible. podcast, but. But so, so tell us about you and your writing. I have written a couple of picture books and a, a chapter book series, the Two Dogs in a Trench Coat chapter book series. I'm proud of my books, but I feel, you know, Snapsy the Alligator Did Not Ask to Be in This Book, which was my first book, came out five years ago. So I feel like that's not very long ago. And I feel like I'm still such a beginner, you know? Well, we don't believe you. So <laughs> we're not a beginner. So, so let's, let's dive into your, your writing process. Oh, um, good. That's, I love yeah. talking about process. Yeah. How, how does a, writing, a typical writing day work for you? Well, I have sort of a new answer to this. So if you will indulge me in a little bit of writing process storytelling, I would please like to blab about it. So <sighs> for many, many years, the way that I wrote was by just shoehorning in a little bit of writing time whenever I could, because my kids were little and it became clear that it was my writing process was not going to be a many hours at a time kind of writing process. And, you know, if you write for two minutes at a time when you get a break, whenever you do, you can maybe write 200 words a day. And then by the end of the week, you might have kind of a picture book draft and then you can work on that. I mean, that's a way to write books. And it's a way that I wrote books for a long time, just sort of shoehorning in the time whenever I could. And then 2016 kind of changed stuff for me just after the election, like everybody else was feeling sort of bereft and spending a lot more time looking at news and looking at terrible things that were happening. And then in 2020, when everything just flew right into the dumpster fire, like many of us, I was just spending so much time frantic online. And also mm -hmm. all my kids were at, were in my house and it was very noisy. It still is. But I had a goal last year of working on this middle grade novel that I had been working on for a long time. I think that I wrote the first draft of it in 2016. And I was going to finish it in March, but that didn't happen because of the pandemic. And then I worked on it all summer 
and I finally finished it in October. And it was like, I was proud that I had finished it, you know, but something didn't quite feel right to me. I sent it to my agent and she read maybe a third of it. Now, here's where I confess to you that this middle grade novel was 85,000 words long, which is wow. like twice as long as, as a middle grade novel should be. So it was just way too long. Also that my agent is Jennifer Loughran, who like literally wrote the definitive blog post on how long, like what the appropriate word count is for. Yes. Word count Dracula. I send it to people Dracula. all the time. Yes. So like, let's all have a little bit of a laugh that I was like, here's <laughs> my grade. It's 85,000 words. Goodbye. And so... <laughs> Jen read like the first third of it and then called me and she was like, okay, first of all, this is too long. Second of all, it has no plot, which was true. Like that was not news to me. Plot is the thing I have the most trouble with. Mm -hmm. But I, I couldn't quite figure it out. We talked about it and, but okay. So then that's, that's where we were. 2021 was me not figuring out, not being able to figure out why this book wasn't working and what what the problem was. The problem was how I was working and how I was approaching work up until, but then mostly in 2020. I read this book last month. No, I guess it was two months ago now in February called Deep Work by Cal Newport. It was kind of had been on my radar for a while. It's from 2016, I think. And it's all about how we need to set aside time to do that focused work, the work where we're not constantly switching our attention from our work to the internet, to email, to social media. When you do that, you get this thing called attention residue, which means when you go back to your novel or whatever you're working on, you're still thinking about the email even if you didn't answer the email, then you're thinking, oh, I have an email I need to answer. And here's the part of the book that like scared me straight. If you don't give yourself the time to do that deep work, you permanently lose your ability to do it. Oh, no. I know. So <laughs> the book that I wrote in the summer of 2020 that was way too long and not good enough, I mean, it was it was okay, but it was it was done in a state of shallow work because I would literally stare at it, write maybe a sentence or two, not be sure what to do next. And instead of letting myself be bored and think about what I was working on, I would kind of reward myself by looking at Twitter, which is a terrible way to write a novel. And it's a very shallow way to write a novel. I had a couple of realizations when after I read the book, which was that I never had like a bolt of inspiration while I was working on the book last summer. I never had, you know, when you're out for a walk and suddenly you're like, oh, I know exactly what my character should do here. Like I never had that, never got into flow. So it was just all written in this very shallow state, which is not a great way to write a book. So then starting in February, when I was terrified that I had completely lost my ability to to get into that flow state and to, to do deep creative work, I started doing what he recommends in the book, which is to track your deep work. So I would write down exactly what time I started and then work for as long as I could without interrupting myself. Cause it was completely just me getting in my own way. And that worked. I mean, so now my method is 
to keep track of my deep work, to work for when I, and also you can build on it, which was really nice because when I started, I could only do maybe 45 minutes a day without completely getting distracted. And now I'm up to like two hours, two and a half hours, which is so much better than I was last year. And even than I was like last month. So I'm feeling pretty good about it. I finished the novel now. It has a plot. It's 45,000 words, which is a much more reasonable place for it to be. And now I'm like obsessed with this thing of, of doing the deep work and getting the good creative work done. So that's my process. (laughs) I love that. I feel like so many people have felt so incredibly distracted because, you know, especially 2020 with it being a dumpster fire, there were so many things on fire to split your focus. And I imagine a lot of people are kind of trying to do the same thing right now, bring it back so that you can really focus in a way that gives you the work that resonates. Do you have any other tips for how writers out there who are still in the panic scrolling phase can do that? Yeah. So I, I mean, one thing I would say is to give yourself a break. Like it's, we all were in that state. Secondly, you know, I do, I like social media, but I've, it had really taken over my brain where like in the middle of the night I would wake up and I would think about Instagram. And that's like, that's kind of embarrassing. Like, that's not what I want. I want to be, if I'm thinking about anything in the middle of the night, I want to be thinking about my book and my story and ways to make it better. Not Instagram. So I, now I schedule when I'm like, I'll schedule my breaks and be like, now I'm going to look at social media for 10 minutes. And then at the end of those 10 minutes, I'm off of it. And then I go back to my book or I get up and fold laundry and just do something analog. The other thing that I did that was really helpful was I switched my phone to grayscale, which is like we as humans, like all of these bright colors and flashy things. And when you switch your phone to grayscale, it makes it look really boring. And I, I'm i embarrassed by how fast it changed. Like as soon as you do it, you're like, wow. oh, huh. Well, this is <laughs> boring. Like immediately you're like, huh. Who cares? And you just like put your phone down and walk away. It's it's amazing. So I'm so you take away that. you take away the bright shininess and it's less like yeah. candy for your brain. Yeah, yeah. Huh. And then when you turn it back on, you're like, oh, it's so garish. Like, <laughs> it, looks, it looks like a disco ball when you turn the color back on after you've had it in gray for a while. But I mean, ultimately, what it came down to for me was I wanted to be in charge of my own thoughts and my own brain, and I. Feel like I really had to get back to writing and creativity and having fun with it and not spending my time on social media. You know, there's so much going on right now that is really important, but it was too important for just my own mental health and my job and my creativity to not get caught up in all of the terrible things that are happening right now. And I mean, you know, and I understand why people feel like they need to be, but it's, it was not, it wasn't good for me anymore. Do you think picture book writers need to do special things to protect their sense of approaching the world with a kind of innocence versus cynicism? I mean, I know in YA, we say we want a little bit of that cynicism, but picture book appreciators, I guess I was going to say readers, but not necessarily readers. I think picture books are aimed at an audience that is by definition, innocent, does that mean that you kind of have to keep yourself emotionally open in a way that 
other writers for other age groups maybe don't? That is such a good question. And I mean, I would say I think my picture books might be a little bit cynical, but I think what I would say to that is that it's really important for any writers, no matter what you write, to protect your own sense of the world, no matter what that is. And I think if you, even if you're writing cynical, snarky books, make sure that it's your own cynicism and your own personal brand of snark that is the, that is the majority of what you're feeling and that you're not just getting it from all from outside sources. And because I think that people sort of naturally, that you know what those books of your heart are and your job as a writer is to protect that, whatever it is. I I think this theme, I'm so happy that you addressed the theme of protecting creativity, finding space, you know, like really make, like opening up that, that room in your brain and preserving it. Because I think that moms, especially during the pandemic, like we have been in a place of, there's so many layers that have, you know, just kind of put put on us every day. And even something as simple as the kitchen, which used to be, <laughs> used to be a job that you did maybe, you know, after dinner and in the morning turned into an all day thing. And, and like the reclaiming, like, I think we're all reclaiming back our space and our creative thought and, and our power over our lives. And I think, that is such an interesting thing to address. And I want to tell you, Julie, that I do have that book coming. I think it just came in the mailbox today. I was like, the mailman just came and brought that in my mailbox. <laughs> so now I will so tell you, you're talking about deep work, that book. Yeah. No, it's just as like a fair warning, 99% of the examples in that book are white men. So you kind of have to like squint through that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it's, I think if you need the message of the book, you can kind of just squint past that and make it work for yourself. But I I mean, I completely agree, Julie, because it's, and I think we've gotten to a point where, you know, last year was so much about just like, let's stay alive. Right. And now, I mean, I feel lucky enough that I have stayed alive and my family is all alive. And so now, now it comes down to like, hey, you guys need to unload the dishwasher too, <laughs> because right. I'm going to write. Something else I realized this year was that I have been diminishing my work a lot and myself as a writer. I have just been sort of thinking of it as this small thing in the corner. And I think part of that was when you're trying to stay alive and keep your family alive, then your creativity maybe takes this smaller space. And now here in 2021, I'm feeling that it's getting bigger and it's my job to make sure that I can keep my creativity as this like enormous thing that I can't ignore and nobody else can ignore either. That if my job is not to clean the kitchen right now, my job is to write and you guys can clean the kitchen. Not you guys. I don't want you. Well, I guess though, since you do live in my town, Julie, you could come over and clean my kitchen if you wanted to, but. Oh, same. <laughs> I, you know, there's, it's interesting. There was a, when I was a teacher and I used to teach writing with little kids, I used to have them get their creativity out of their desk. Mm. I haven't thought about this for a long time, but I, I'd be like, okay, get your creativity out of your desk now. And we would pretend that we'd hold it like <gasps> in our hands and we'd bounce it and we'd fling it in the air and we would like let it expand and contract. 
And I like this idea that like you're like taking your creativity and like nurturing it and like giving it like a nice space in your house and and that it's something you can go to and you can kind of polish it off and be like, I'm with you now. Yes. We're together now. And that's something like, that's such a great memory. And I think that's something that a lot of us need to do after the last, you know, two years, incredibly, I mean, just so much going on. And it's just like the way we can, we can nurture that creative life. It's just like, it's, we all have to do that. I love that idea of taking creativity out of your desk. And I mean, like I have all these rituals now before I start writing of candles that I light and sort of getting my desk in order. And I think that those sorts of things are important. You know, we're all so Mm. creative. I think that we're all creative. You know, humans are creative. And I think anybody listening to this podcast probably wants to be a writer or is in the publishing industry in some way. And I think it's, I think sometimes we, and maybe especially moms, sort of put ourselves and our creativity last. And I think that that's wrong. I think we should put ourselves and our creativity first because I think it's a good example for everybody and it's important for survival in a lot of ways. I think sometimes a way to be the most efficient is to start with the things that only you can do. And the more you get into that deep work space, I think the more you're into that place of things only you can do, hopefully. I have to ask, Julie, when kids were taking out their creativity and throwing it up in the air, did any of them pretend that they threw it and they dropped it and it broke? Because that's what I would do. Yeah. And I was like, pick up your dirty creativity (laughs) (laughs) and dust it off and get out your pencils. Let's go. Let's do it. You know, (laughs) I was an insane teacher when I taught like elementary school. I was just like a nut. Um, Get your creativity off the floor right now. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I just have no sympathy. Just get it up pack it up, you know. So Julie, tell us about your writing inspirations. Who do you go to or who do you read when you want to just kind of get back into a certain space? Mm, That's a great question. Oof. And you know what? I have not been to the library in a year. so sad. They haven't opened it in our town. May 24th. Okay. So I would often just get a huge pile of new picture books and read those and just see what people were doing with picture books. So that was something that I am looking, that I used to do, and I'm really looking forward to getting back to doing that again. I would, I'll just sort of sit down in front of book, in front of my bookshelf and pull, pull out whatever is calling to me. I think it's important to read as much as possible. And I think also in this, in this age of trying to manage our digital lives versus our analog lives, I think that there is something that you can really do for your creativity by just reading a bunch of books, even if they're books for grownups or they're not the kind of books that you normally write or drawing or doing any kind of creativity to, it all feeds into each other. I do like the idea of purposely having analog time. I think that's a nice catch-all way of saying, get off your Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) It's, I I mean, I have been, you know, for so long, I really was, 
I would like write on my to-do list, like stay off Twitter. Or I would be like, today I'm going to focus. I would like write on the top of my to-do list, focus. And <laughs> apparently that doesn't work. So, or like, and also writing like what not to do on your to-do list. That's like a to-don't list then. That doesn't make any sense. So it really hasn't been until this year where I've, since I've started tracking my deep work that I've found it much easier than to get up and walk away and do more analog things. And now I'm I'm kind of addicted to it. And I, I really like the time that I'm not looking at my computer. And that even if I'm just lying on the floor, I think it's time better spent for me. Well, I'm just curious. And now I'm looking up how many Twitter followers you have. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> and I'm not going to share it, but you have a ton. And so... <laughs> I mean, I I, and I don't want to sound like I'm down on Twitter because I love Twitter. No, but, I but, love but what's Instagram. What's kind of cool about this, and I feel like I feel like what you're talking about here is a pivot because I'm just going to tell everyone if you want to follow Julie on Twitter, she has over 10,000 followers. But you have a presence of kindness, and you know you are promoting your books and you are doing this marketing work. So I do feel like the time you spent there, you're doing a lot of lovely, lovely you know, things you're, you're representing other, other people's books. And I feel like this is like, as writers, you need to protect your creative work, but you also need to build that platform. She's somebody that will talk about new books coming out. So I think there is, there is a lot of mixed messages around how to use social as a writer. And I think, I think what you're saying here is you're at the point of your life where you protect your work, you know, you protect the time and you've built, you've done your work here. You've built your following. It's, and it's, you know, I mean, I've met a lot of friends on Twitter Mm -hmm. and I wrote a book in November that was inspired by something I saw on Twitter. So there is Mm -hmm. still that I still do sometimes get inspiration from it, but it's, I now am much more mindful of how I feel when I'm on it. So if I start to feel like it is distracting me in a negative way, or I start to feel like it's pushing my anger buttons or my doom buttons or my like everything is horrible buttons. And maybe this goes back to what you were saying before, Jessica, of like protecting my inner picture book writer. Then I just get off. I think you can have a lot of fun on social media. I think you can make a lot of excellent connections, whether it's writer connections or just connections of other creative people or other inspiring people, no matter whether they're traditionally creative or not. You can fill your well and your like joy buckets, if you will, or you can definitely use Twitter to fill your big, angry doom buckets. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's important to be aware of which is which. I have no Mm -hmm. idea why I have more than 10,000 Twitter followers. I think Because you're fun and we like you. (laughs) Well, that's (laughs) Thanks, guys. And I mean, I'm, you know, I'm saying all this and still I'm like, go ahead and follow me. But like, I think... Now I'm really interested in making sure that I'm using social media to enhance my right. life. Is that a way to put it? Where like, because I get a ton of book recommendations. Right. From social media. Even just recommend like, okay, 
last weekend, two weekends ago, Zuzu, my 12-year-old, had finished reading The Shining and she wanted to watch it. (laughs) And I'm a total horror movie chicken. I hate them. But I... And she, it took her a long time to read The Shining and she was so excited about it. And so I'm not going to tell her, no, you can't watch that as your movie choice. So I asked on Twitter, so I said, somebody, all of you, please ruin The Shining for me, spoil it all so I know what to expect. And it was great. Everybody told me exactly <laughs> what I needed to know, be aware of what was creepy. And it made it a lot more, f- I, I don't know if I would have been able to watch it otherwise. So Oh I'm my not to say like, I have this many Twitter followers so that I can ask this incredibly specific to me question and have it answered. But no, that's great. You can crowdsource well, all kinds of information. That yeah, way. And yeah. It is about crowdsource. That's the verb I wanted. Right. It's, it's community and community is important, but we all have to put it in perspective after, you know, the, the environment did shift mm-hmm. and then, you know, we're, we're, we're just trying to like get our footing back with it. But yeah, it is interesting. Tell us your superpower. My superpower. Do you mean my actual superpower or the one I wish I had? That's right. You might have an actual one of being a picture book writer, mightn't you? (laughs) (laughs) That is it. That's it. That I that that I'm a. I mean, that's what when I when I do class visits with kids, I talk a lot about how being a writer is like being a wizard or being a mad scientist because I can write something and make myself laugh here in my room in Maine. And then a kid in Texas, in California, can read the book and they can laugh. And that's, I mean, if that's not magic, I don't know what is. That I can make someone laugh a year later in a different state and I never even met the person and I'm not even there. Like that's that's amazing. And I feel like that, Mm. I'm so addicted to that part of writing the like, magical wizardry of creating these worlds of like and these are just ideas in my head like I still don't fully understand the concept of how I'm able to do this as my job because and it feels like I am not qualified to do anything else like it's that I can like make up stuff and then somebody else can read my brain thoughts like that is so weird that that's my job so I guess that's my superpower. I think I would stop time if I had a superpower so I could get more done. And then I could clean yeah. the kitchen and nobody would come in and mess it up until I started time again. And then they would immediately come in and like dump chips on the floor. But but, but I would enjoy my clean kitchen until that point. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how many times somebody's gone into my kitchen and said sort of like, was there a murder in here? Because there's like ketchup on the floor or blueberry juice on the floor. Like, I don't know. It always looks like a crime scene. Yeah. Mine too. Well, mine, mine looks like, like it's like top chefs gone bad. You know, it's always sauteing something or like, you know, making a seven course meal. And I'm like, what happened? Can't you some soup, you know, whatever. <laughs> so funny. Is that a common problem in Maine? Blueberry juice on the floor. Oh, I thought you were going to say yes. messy kitchens. And I was going to be like, yeah, that's, problem, that's only it's Maine. It's actually a problem in my house. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you just have so is. many blueberries, they inevitably end up on the floor. Yeah. That's, oh, I yeah. think it yeah. is. It's blueberries for sale all day long. Every day. Click club, <laughs> click club. <laughs> yeah. 
That's right. I had to like shut my door so you guys wouldn't be hearing the kaplink, kaplank, kaplank all the time while I was talking. (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit more? I mean, you've talked a bit about structuring your own time. How do you structure time for your characters in a middle grade differently than from a picture book? So my favorite way to write is to just, I'm not a plotter. I'm way more of a pantser. And I, I have written many novels where the characters just talk to each other and wander around and like they have very witty conversations. But I have learned that that is not a plot. So because with a picture book, because they are such little nuggets of a day, sometimes, I mean, sometimes they're like a whole biography, but you can write a picture book about like one minute of a day. And then mm-hmm. that's legit a picture book. They're such little things. And I love that about picture books because you can really hone in on like, here's a friendship and it's a friendship where things are out of balance and then they go into balance. And that and that's the whole picture book. But that's, and that could be a middle grade also, I think. I I'm skirting around this a bit because I'm still figuring out how to write, how to plot a middle grade the biggest thing that helped me when Jen pointed out that I did not have a plot with the middle grade that I sent her last October that was way too long was she said, what does your character want? Like, what mm-hmm. is her big want at the beginning of the book? And I realized that that is like a very basic thing about plot, but it was something that I had not really considered. I mean, I sort of knew what she wanted, but it wasn't a definitive want. So that it took some time for me to, I had a want then where I said, she wants a friend. And then I realized that that is way too general um, and not really enough to drive a middle grade. I think you can have a picture book that's somebody wants a friend, but a novel needs more. And I think it needs specificity. So I, mm-hmm. I came up with a much more specific to this character want. And I think that 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 worked better for, driving the book. But I, you know, one thing I love about writing novels, and I say this, I've written, I don't, Two Dogs in a Trench Coat, they're either young, middle grade, or chapter books. I'm not sure they've categorized differently, but they're like 22, 24,000 words. And then I have, I, I haven't successfully really completed a novel yet, but I've written a bunch and they're fun to write. And what I like about writing them is that I can kind of blab on for a long time, which you don't get to do in a picture book. So the first time I remember, I mean, it was a while ago, but the first time I actually sat down to write a novel, it was like this revelation that I could describe things, which you don't really do in a picture book because the illustrations show that. And that I could have all kinds of like interior thinking. And I, it was, this is not how to plot a book, but it's, (laughs) it's, it's fun. It's, it's fun to write them because you can blab on. That's great. <laughs> and it's true. Like, why do you write YA versus picture books? You can blab on. You just go on and on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. And then um, same thing with picture books. I mean, I'm a bit of an overwriter. So with picture books too, I will write and write and write and get the whole story down. And it might be 1,000 or 1,200 words. And then I just keep chopping it down and cutting out all the extra stuff that's that you don't need. And I do the same thing with novels. But, um, but it's it's a lot more cutting in novels. So what tips do you have for the writers just getting started? Do you have like a single tip that you could give to the writers out there? 
I think it's to keep having fun with it and to not expect it to be great in the beginning. And to know that your first drafts will get better, but they're still not going to be great. And that that is just the process. And once you allow for that, and once you realize that maybe some of the books you write are never even going to be anything. I mean, I just wrote a picture book a couple weeks ago and I worked on it a lot. And then I realized that it wasn't working except for this like one paragraph. So I took that one paragraph out and just wrote a completely different picture book that had Mm -hmm. nothing to do with the previous one with that one paragraph. So Mm -hmm. sometimes you have to do that and it's all, you just have to keep writing and it's going to be a lot of terrible stories and that's okay. As long as you're having a good time while you're writing all Mm -hmm. those terrible stories. I mean, so much of writing is that balance beam of like writing something and being like, this is so good. And then later in the week, you're like, that's really bad. And it's it's the same thing. And you have to, you have to make sure that you feel both ways. Not that you have to feel that it's bad because at a certain point, hopefully it won't be bad anymore, but you have to live in this sort of like wonder of your ability to write and ability to come up with ideas and write them down. And then the, the second version of yourself, the critique, not, not even the critiquer, but the more critical version where you can go, okay, let's figure out, not is it bad, but let's figure out how to make it great now. Let's assume it's not great and let's figure out how to make it great. And it's so much of that balance between those two things. Aww. <laughs> that is a tough balance though. I mean, it's not like you can always go into the it's great or it needs work version on command, but it would be nice if you could. Yeah, you can't. And it's, I mean, I think it, so much of it is just being aware of both states because if you're spending all your time in your this is terrible state, then I would tell you to to not worry about that at all and write a bunch of stuff that you love and don't worry if it's good or not until later. Like get back to what you love about writing in the first place. Our last question is always, where can we find you online? And I'm not sure we should ask. Why? <laughs> After all of we don't want to distract you. There. Yeah, we want to like keep, keep the space. But if you were to maybe talk about where you are online, where would you send people to learn more about your books? And you and everything else wonderful. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I still like the online space and I'm not feeling like I'm ready to be this Luddite who lives in the woods <laughs> and chops her own wood because let's be honest, I'm not made for that. But I think I would say to me and to everybody, just like be mindful of your online time. Yeah. And I think that you'll get so much more out of it by being like, I'm going to go on for this specific amount of time that I've already predetermined. And here's what I'm going to get out of it. And as soon as I'm not getting that out of it anymore, I'm going to be aware of that. And I'm going to stop and walk away and go back to my book or my stretching or whatever. (laughs) My soup, my my very clean (laughs) soup. soup. So where do we find you online? Okay. So my website is julieflatco.com. I'm Julie Filatko on Twitter and I'm Julie underscore Filatko on Instagram. Yeah, this has been a pleasure. This has been so fun. I really miss seeing you around town, Julie. I have to say that. Yeah, same. Soon. (laughs) We're all going to be out there soon. We're all going to be running around. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. 
It's going to be great. So, yeah, thank you again. For, so inspired. So if you'd like to talk with Julie about your book or your creative process, you can book a meeting at manuscriptacademy.com slash Julie hyphen Filatko. And as you can see, she's lovely and it would be fun. I've certainly enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you for making time. Thank you. (laughs) We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. And not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.